I'm Henry Lynn. And I'm Max Moynian. And welcome to Better World. Better World is a podcast about badass people doing really cool things. The more we know about this world, the better we can do in changing it. It's like you, me, and another tens of thousands and millions of people that would make the, the right choice today when they go to the supermarket, when they go to whatever they are confronted with that pushes them to decide if they want to be sustainable or not. And the more we understand that each one of us has not only a voice, but also purchasing power, but also a visibility, but also a tribe and uh, a community to communicate with, uh, the quicker we're going to be able to address this. Max, I missed you. Did you really? I did, quite a bit. (laughs) Some of our listeners might have noted that I was not on the previous podcast. It was not because Max and I are getting a divorce and she prefers to be without me. No, no. It was because sometimes she just has to spread her wings and fly, particularly on topics where I am zero value at. (laughs) We missed you. I missed you too. But I'm happy to be back. And I'm especially happy to be back with a female founder. That's All day. So let's jump right in. Today we are talking to Lubomila Jordanova, who is the co-founder and CEO of Plan A, a software provider offering an end-to-end platform that uses machine learning and science to enable businesses to reduce their emissions and improve and report on their ESG performance. Lubomila is also co-founder of the Green Tech Alliance a community of more than 2,000 green tech startups connected to more than 500 advisors from VC, media, and business. Lubomila has been recognized as an Obama Europe leader in 2022, MIT innovator under 35, Marshall Fund fellow, one of the top 50 female entrepreneurs in Germany, and 30 under 30 from Forbes, among others. And she is also sitting in a very cute cafe in Lisbon right now. She's living her best life. (laughs) Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Let's just start because I was embarrassed that I didn't really understand what this was up until more recently with ESG and that landscape, what it is and what it means to you. So ESG stands for Environmental, Social and Governance. It's a framework that actually came out of the financial institution ideas and then turned into a framework for assessing additional KPIs beyond financial performance for businesses. From today's perspective, this is a framework that has now penetrated uh, uh, actually a lot of uh, different frameworks that go outside of the financial spectrum and um, more prominently, uh, the European Union, for example, announced just a few months ago uh, EU taxonomy, uh, TCFD is in the UK, for example, and these are frameworks which allow for businesses to be assessed beyond just uh, on how much money they make, but also on how good they are to the environment, to humanity, uh, and also uh, just for the whole stakeholder community. So ESG, correct me if I'm wrong, started out as like, it's like, Churches didn't want to be investing in tobacco and pornography and guns. So they just made the sort of framework to uh, align their morals with their with their investments more and things like that. Is that correct? Ish. Of course, it started with the churches. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's a good way to put it. You know, it, it really is exactly uh, the idea that 
a business uh, has been historically assessed only on their financial performance, but down the line, it became evident that that was not enough to actually understand if this is a healthy business and if it was going to bring these returns because there were some hidden costs associated to the fact that maybe there's some child labor in the supply chain or maybe there's some negative environmental practices that are leading to then bad brand recognition. And all of these things now, uh, when there's a lot more transparency, uh, there's a lot more consumer activism, employee activism, uh, have made uh, this topic a lot more prominent. Um, and especially in the context of climate change, this is really at the forefront of the thinking of different stakeholders. Let's talk about those individual categories, because um, it's, it's super interesting that you bring it up. We've been spending a lot of time at Better World looking at it from a product side, um, you know, particularly as we've launched our own wholesale platform. But we've talked uh, to companies like Carbon Chain before. I'm very, very interested in ESG resport, reporting space because it, ostensibly the reporting piece of this is what makes it functional and makes it happen, right? So what are the different components that you guys look at? You know, what, what really comprises the thing? So as I explained, ESG stands for environmental, social and governance. If you right. have to break it down uh, as per what actually fits within these three categories, when you look in the environmental topic, you're looking into emission levels, biodiversity, water, um, energy, waste. And on the social side, there we're talking about equal opportunities within a business. How do you take care of your employees? How do you actually take care of your suppliers? Do you have enough information about the practices that they uh, deploy across their organization? It's about human rights. It's about uh, the responsibility related to your customer. And as I mentioned, also child labor. On the governance side, this is related to how do you govern your business? It's about the business ethics. Uh, do you have particular policies in place related to corruption? Do you have a um, board that is diverse and also is really governed uh, with clear structure that allows for plural kind of opinions? It's also about shareholder democracy and also about compliance. All these different elements uh, embedded into the different frameworks that have uh, been kicked off over the last few years. This is not a topic that exists uh, only in the last few months. It just now became quite prominent. And what we offer within our product is the possibility to report according to these different frameworks uh, and obviously collect data that is specifically related to the different KPIs that these different frameworks ask for. We also enable businesses to create their own templates uh, where you can essentially tweak the questionnaires according to maybe specifics that you want to dive into. The truth is, is that there's a lot of frameworks out there, uh, which is one of the biggest challenges of the industry, which has uh, pushed for some businesses to not be satisfied with what is out there and create their own until there's no full alignment uh, internationally. Interesting. I'm interested to know what the, uh, like the healing circle looks like. When you guys implement effectively, what does it look like from an administration level, an enforcement level? What, what does it look like when this all works properly at scale? It's an incredibly important question because the sad reality that we face today is that sustainability ESG for some companies is a compliance topic. It's something that they tick off the list, they create the report and then it's done uh, and not touched until the next reporting cycle doesn't come. For the companies that really want to transform themselves, this acts uh, as a piece of information that can navigate their agenda after that. And what we have seen in terms of the clients that we work with, which are now more than a thousand companies from 
all across uh, the board, all across the world, focus on finance, but also automotive, fashion, and all sorts of industries, is that in 70% of the cases, creating this report actually is a element that pushes them to start feeling a level of responsibility that they didn't have before, because there's a level of transparency that makes them feel quite responsible for what happens after. Uh, so far, we've achieved 7% reduction on an average uh, or on a yearly basis. And in terms of ESG improvement, we've seen uh, increase in diversity in the clients that we work with. It's quite diverse in terms of sizes of businesses and how quickly this happens. So that's why I'm not speaking with numbers. And we've also seen a lot of new policies being introduced related to child labor, related to corruption that maybe didn't exist before, which didn't mean that the businesses were doing corruption and were actually uh, working with someone that was uh, pushing for child labor to be part of the supply chain. But by adding them, uh, you really make a clear stance on what you stand for. Uh, the top 100 companies, I believe, uh, which are energy companies in the world, it, it's really just 100 corporations contribute something like 70% of total global emissions. And it, it's all kind of a uh, a fallout from those, right? Because you have oil and gas, $2.1 trillion industry, you got 700 billion of that apparently is plastic, but it just, it kind of slots down in terms of carbon emission because it just starts with gas and then it's everybody using gas and burning gas, right? So really the the functional change that you guys create um, affects the entire stack, right? But um, I, I would assume, of course, right? But ultimately it comes down to carbon emissions, the large majority of which are oil and gas. So it feels like the buck stops at the top with, you know, those hundred companies that you can only fix the others so much to some extent, you know, wean them off gas, put them on renewables, more impact and drawdown solutions, things of that nature. But where is the end game for this? If it ultimately goes back to like these, you know, this handful of perpetrators, if you will. Can I, can I add right, right there before you answer, what, are, what is the makeup of the companies that you work with? Fantastic questions and incredibly important ones. Uh, what I can start off with is, first of all, why do we even have a problem? So the way we have assessed our economy and the success of it up until now has been based on KPIs such as GDP, growth, margins. And what has been continuously missing from this assessment is this layer that allows us to understand the true costs associated to all the choices that we make. So you go into a shop and you buy a t-shirt and you look at one option that is $3 and then you look at another option that is 50. Maybe you cannot afford the 51. Maybe it is more sustainable, but then you're like, okay, I'm just going to get a t-shirt because I need a t-shirt. What is missing from this cost about uh, uh, that is uh, the, the $3 t-shirt is really the traveling of the product to get to the shop where you're buying it from, the emissions associated to maybe the coloring, if it is uh, colored the way the different people involved in the production have been treated. Uh, and what we now are working towards alongside uh, many other uh, stakeholders, including governments and businesses uh, and even scientists, is really to add this missing layer to the assessment of the economy to get to the true value of what it really is costing us uh, that is leading it essentially to what climate change uh, is built up of, which is a lot of different bad choices that we've made one after the other. With this in mind, uh, the real challenge that we have at hand is aligning the language and the thinking and the mathematics around the, the true value of what it really uh, stands for. So 
Right. How do you how do you weight those things? Right. It's like social. What's the weight of that versus carbon emission? That's very interesting. Yeah. And going back to your question in terms of, uh, oh, it boils down again to the oil companies. The truth is, right. is that we have uh, built a system that is constantly reconfirming itself with every single thing that we do as a consumer. We are be being reaffirmed that this is the right choice, be it through vehicles like marketing, be it through uh, other elements that make it just so convenient for you to always choose plastic instead of choosing the most sustainable option because recycling is not embedded in the way we operate within our cities and within our traveling and so on. So ultimately, yes, it is 70% of emissions that these companies are creating, but it is because also the demand that we are creating with the choices that we make on a daily basis, not only as individuals, but also as businesses, as any kind of stakeholder, the governments and so on. So there it is, people. The log line to better world. Shift the demand. Shift it. <laughs> and also make informed choices because I think one of the biggest challenges we have at the moment within our field is the lack of education. I want right. to answer the question of Max because I think it's super important is who do we work with? So out of the thousand companies that we work with, actually close to a half is financial institutions which are the reason why fossil fuel companies get to be funded. So again, another connecting point to uh, your comment, Henry. Uh, These are private equities, these are banks, these are fintechs, uh, and many other stakeholders uh, like hedge funds. And for them, as much as in some people's minds, there's no environmental responsibility, the burden is even bigger because they have a big job to do in terms of calculating their emissions because and I'll just pause here to explain what scope one, two, and three is, because maybe some of the listeners do not know. Uh, In order to calculate the emissions of any organization, you have three layers of emissions. Scope one is facilities and vehicles. Scope two is purchase services like heating, cooling, electricity, fuel. And then scope three is your suppliers. It is your investments, logistics, and the views of product, travel, commute, and so on. So if you take this framework that is internationally accepted, there's no dispute there, and you take a financial institution, you can understand that more than 80-90% of their emissions are sitting within scope 3, which is where these fossil fuel companies are. So in order for a bank to become sustainable, they need to make the choice of not supporting fossil fuel companies. So we work with half of our clients within this field. We have a lot of fashion companies, which are also number three polluters in the world. And we also work with a lot of fast-scaling startups, uh, a lot of automotive like BMW, uh, and we essentially enable them to map out their performance as it is today and then find a way to act as a result of what the data tells us. And is there like, is there a sort of gut check that you do when you're choosing to work with a new company on seeing what their willingness is to make meaningful change? Absolutely. Or are they in a way working with you to try another check another box without actually doing the the work that would make a difference. I don't think you would let them get away with that, saying like, hey, we work with plan A to check a box. Yeah, so that's where the question came. No, 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 absolutely. And one thing that is uh, quite of a funny story that happened to us a few uh, months back was a coal company came to us and they said, uh, we would like to give you $1 million. And we asked for what? We just want to create a marketing campaign. <laughs> Essentially, what this meant was obviously a quick response of saying, no, thank you. We actually have a blacklist of organizations that we don't work with uh, because we have not seen willingness to transform. And also the first question that we ask uh, to any company that wants to work with us is, 
why are you kicking off this project? If they say we want to become carbon neutral, then probably we're not the right avenue for that because that means, again, ticking off a box, showing some sort of a certificate that shows that they've uh, eliminated their emissions by compensating, which is basically throwing money at the problem. For us, what really matters and why we have a decarbonization and ESG improvement part of our platform is because we want to see uh, the transformation within the one year that at least they've signed up to work with us uh, for. And the exciting bit is that uh, it's not that difficult to find companies to work with uh, in the sense that, first of all, we have so much demand that we get to choose who we work with, but also businesses are starting to understand that climate risk, ESG risk is financial risk. So they are understanding that it's going to cost them a lot of money and a lot of reputation if they don't take the right choice today. And I want to talk about ESG a little bit more in the sense that like, okay, companies like Amazon and Nestle, who's like, I think Nestle is the number one plastic polluter on the planet, still qualify as ESG. So that's kind of confusing to me. And I was wondering if you could speak to like, what is a standard that we actually should go by? And is ESG really enough? An important question, especially in the light of the discussions that have been happening online uh, quite a lot in the last few months. Uh, so where the confusion comes from is the fact that ESG is a framework for assessment of KPIs that go beyond financial. This is not an assessment of how impactful and positive the business is on the environment, on our governance and social uh, elements. What this means is that you can trick the system by really focusing on these KPIs that are within these frameworks. and even project yourself as a sustainable company when what you're producing, what the output of your business is, is really not aligned to positive environmental impact or positive social governance impact. A prime example is uh, some of the tobacco companies that if you look at the social impact reports that they uh, share on a yearly basis, they actually show uh, themselves as health companies and wellness companies, which is purely based on the fact that they impacting the health of people. It's really tricky to understand how they do that. So we shouldn't put, I would say, on the ESG framework too much uh, responsibility for how impactful a business is in a positive way on the planet. We should use it as a set of KPIs that can navigate the first layer of the assessment. Where it gets really interesting is how ambitious the goals for improvement are for a business. On the environmental side, you cannot be an oil company and really meaningfully claim that you're sustainable if you don't have really ambitious goals, which is where all fossil fuel companies fail, one after right. the other. Uh, and you cannot Why be... aren't they moving towards renewable? Why aren't they shifting their business model? Is there, is there not enough dollars and cents in it? So the energy discussion is really uh, easily illustrated with what's been going on after the Ukrainian war kicked off. Uh, you can still see the struggle that uh, countries like Germany uh, are having in fully being able to shift because they're so reliant on this infrastructure that they paid for right. to be able to transport gas that is so deeply embedded in the way that they, on day-to-day -day basis their industries right. operate. So if you think of the GDP as the growth uh, and the, the kind of the, the success that uh, a country or a company wants to achieve, you also need to think of this overnight uh, shift towards renewable is not something that is tangible for many until there's no pressure like what we're experiencing now uh, with uh, the war in Ukraine, where overnight, essentially, the European Union was able to say, OK, within 
literally 12 months, we would have not only a plan, but we would have this massive budget allocated to be able to transform. So it's not that the fossil fuel companies don't want to transform. It's, It's that they don't want to transform and they know how difficult it is for others to commit to the transformation because of the convenience of the ecosystem um, and also the convenience of the infrastructure. What is the way in which um, vis-a-vis some either ground up movement or, you know, government movement, you would see them being motivated or incentivized to do the conversion. At what point do so many people say like, my goal is this and we either off them, like how does the, how's the groundswell kind of come to a head at scale? The last few years have been incredibly transformational because a lot of stakeholders started using their voice, which historically was not the case because it was really difficult to, put yourself out there uh, with your legitimacy, with your business background or whatever it is, because it was not as uh, comfortable to speak about climate, about uh, where society is headed if we don't make the uncomfortable choices. Now with a lot of the uh, climate activist movements, but also the employee pressure, we're seeing so much of that within our client ranks where Businesses come to us and they say, we have a petition that has been signed by 20,000 of our employees that says we need to have science-based targets. How do we do that? These are the kinds of elements that push for the change to be actually tangible. Another stakeholder that has been really prominent uh, in the last few years has been investors. Um, Investors are starting to understand that it's going to cost them a lot of money if they don't have a plan. Today, this does not mean plan that is detailed and it's really clearly defined in a step-by-step kind of manner, but at least it means uh, we're aligning to the same KPIs, uh, all of our portfolio companies. And for this reason, we expect from you to be able to deliver this by X day. You have no idea how many panicked uh, portfolio companies have called us to say, okay, can you explain to us what does this really mean to be ESG compliant? What does it mean to have science-based targets? And also to have a plan to reduce our emissions by 50% within five years. And I would say probably the most tangible for many uh, businesses internationally that goes outside of Europe is when you look into a large corporate like BMW, they are one of our clients and they've obliged all of their suppliers by 2025 to reduce their emissions by 50%. How do you do that? You just do it because this is one of your biggest contributors to the bottom line. So you need to change. You don't have a choice. That's super interesting. Getting back to the the E, S, and G portion of this, how do you weight the differences between them? Like, what's what did you guys do? What did you discover in, in what was important? I mean, do you weight them by the value of the organization? Um, what's important to them? Do they take some... I, I saw that you guys have the scanner on your website, but do they, do they take some onboarding thing and say, like, hey, here are the things that we have to do? How, how, would, how did you ultimately decide what those values were? Plan AX is an infrastructure, we're not the police, which means that we collect the data, we give benchmarks so that you see where you're standing against uh, peers within the industry. You see where you're standing against some outside KPIs that might be comparative. Uh, and there's a lot of these frameworks out there uh, that allow for businesses to know, okay, according to this index, I'm performing well or not so well. But we are there to show all the different data points and give the company the choice at the end to decide what is that they want to focus on. Where we are a lot more stringent uh, and we give a lot of guidance is really on the suggestions for improvements. 
So uh, when the data demonstrates that the company is really with a lot of negative outliers, let's say on diversity or on their emissions within their scope three or within their scope one and two, we don't shy away. And this is automatically created on the platform to give an indication of this is your biggest lever for improvement. This is where, uh, according to your science-based targets, you need to start acting as soon as possible. Um, and also, uh, this is according to your ESG improvement plan, where you are lagging behind uh, across your industry uh, peers. And that, for any company that is sensibly involved with the topic, uh, is already enough information for them to define a plan. Right. I want to shift gears a little bit, if that's cool, and just get into like how you got into this. What was the itch you were scratching that made you start Plan A? The truth is... I have nothing to do from a professional perspective with sustainability, climate change, ESG, (laughs) but uh, I've always been in finance. I was in investment banking, then in VC, then in fintech. And uh, serendipity brought me to the topic in 2016 because I found myself on a beach in Morocco where instead of surfing, I ended up cleaning the beach from plastic. And after this trip, I was absolutely obsessed with the topic of sustainability and especially pollution in the context of humans. What does it mean really for us to be polluting? How does this translate in long-term negative impacts on the planet? And I spent all my free time within a year on the side of my job, educating myself about the topic until it got to the point where I knew way too much. And I felt uh, like I couldn't spend any more time on topics that were not associated to climate change. And essentially in 2017, I quit my job and set up Plan A. The initial idea was really focused on climate risk, which was how do we use all this data that is out there, all this knowledge that scientists have been able to bring to the table to give to businesses an overview of how they can improve. This translated into creating these tangible plans for improvement on ESG and uh, sustainability. And I must say the best thing about this journey has been that when I kicked off in 2016, there was no one that cared about the topic. And that has made my commitment throughout the years even stronger because I've always felt like I had an additional responsibility because I've seen what it was when no one cared. And now that there's momentum, we just need to push further to see even more people commit. So, I mean, plastic was really the gateway drug. And within a year of picking up plastic on a beach, you quit your job and you were like all into climate risk in the financial world. So that is a really cool story because... Are you guys best friends? Like, what's going on? (laughs) Drink sometime. Um, Because every time... Every time I get into that argument with people, oh, you're like picking up a few straws, who cares? Not going to make a difference. It's it's when you look at the problem that way... How many times are you going to tell this story? (laughs) (laughs) Henry, shut up. Uh, Anyway, back to what I was saying... When you look at everything that way, when it's just a very step-by-step progression into, and you're not, you're not like, you're just seeing what's right in front of you and not the the scale and the massive complexity of the problem. It's the only way to get involved because when you're only looking at the scale and complexity of the problem, you're not going to do anything. It's paralyzing. So that's a really beautiful, I'm glad I asked that question. Same. And I just want to comment because I think it's a, it's really uh, important to think of this one straw as the one bad decision that if you look at climate change is actually magnified by the billions of bad decisions that we've made so many times. And I, I just get so excited by stories like yours also, Max, because I know that 
it's like you, me, and another tens of thousands and millions of people that would make the, the right choice today when they go to the supermarket, when they go to whatever they are confronted with that pushes them to decide if they want to be sustainable or not. And the more we understand that each one of us has not only a voice, but also purchasing power, but also a visibility, but also a tribe and uh, a community to communicate with, uh, the quicker we're going to be able to address this. Yeah. I love that. Did you have any idea when you were just doing investment banking and VC and thing like things like that at, at all the connection between climate and financial institutions? Or were you just like, oh, financial institutions are kind of, they're not, you know, they're not plastic producers. They're not coal plants. I had no idea. And this is something that on another level is kind of good because I left finance because of misalignment with other values. So it just added on top of uh, uh, this. I, th I don't think all financial institutions are bad. We work with incredible organizations and I'm super happy to see them want to transform. But there's just some fundamental mm, like lack of knowledge with regards to the negative impact. And I think many people that even work within the industry don't have an idea that fossil fuel companies are heavily subsidized by governments, but also heavily funded for all the projects that they kick off by financial institutions. Finance, and yeah. Exactly. And we need to just be thinking of these equations in the right manner, because once we have these conversations, then maybe even the executives that didn't know about this would start thinking differently. Yeah, it's it, my mind has been a lot on like you brought up, like as consumers and governments, consumers, citizens, we have all this power. And I've also just been thinking a lot about how as CEOs or employees, we also have power. And that like so many companies are actually now, and I'm curious to hear if you're seeing this too, I'm getting the sense that so many companies are doing more on their impact, on their climate impact, not really even just for their consumers or their clients, but also for their own employees. People want to feel like they're working at a place that aligns with their values. Are you seeing that with the companies that you work with? Absolutely. And what is most exciting is that uh, employees are, uh smart enough to use this at their own uh, benefit because uh, we even have an anecdote from a client that there was this employee that was a green champion. She pushed the agenda for them to have our software, to have a decarbonization plan, to have budget to create some awareness campaigns within the company. And um, at her yearly review, she informed the company that she wants to leave because she feels like this is not a top priority for them. And she has found an alternative within the same sector that is focusing on this. Within 24 hours, they had opened up a position for her. Um, there was a, called an ESG analyst, and she was given three times the budget, not necessarily to pay us, but to set up campaigns for right. different uh, sustainability and ESG topics. And this shows how much voice an employee has and how much importance there is in really showing to your bosses that you always have the choice to switch because and this is for big companies and little companies right yeah because there's right. always going to be the next company that makes shoes you know and you can always right. be working that, for a right. shoe company. so like the new startup right exactly the new yeah. shoe guys thousand fell we love those guys I, I see that your framework really does actually work for all companies of all sizes in your carbon scanner your little onboarding utility which i think is is great you're, you're literally just looking at their annual spend on heating, energy, and fuels, monthly spend on food, beverages, and business travel, and then the percentage of employees commuting by car. That's 
that's everybody. We could talk about everybody, help everybody, you know, at the very least participate in reduction, if not draw down against the negative impact that they have. Um, so I, I have come away from this conversation with a lot of hope, feeling like we can create everybody, you know, doing demand and, and changing all of their behaviors from big to small. Absolutely. And what's most exciting is that there's a momentum at the moment that gives people the confidence that they should be speaking on behalf of all the concerns that they have. Eco-anxiety is a thing. Employee activism is a thing. Management that cares about ESG is a thing. And what this means is that there's a lot of different pressure points uh, and our society is starting to align around the idea that sustainability and better ESG engagement uh, is really where we need to be headed. Are we the critical mass that is pushing the needle? I don't think so. We're not there yet. But is there enough concern? Is there enough uh, voices out there that increasing in numbers by the day? I can definitely, uh, I can definitely confirm this. And honestly, one of the reasons why I've lost fully any co-anxiety is because I know that if I have this one lifetime, the only choice that I have is to be positive and to use my voice in my job and the luck that I have to be working within a company that is pushing for this only to engage others and empower them to feel like they're an actor of change because otherwise we've lost the cause. That was beautifully said. I love that. Um, I want to give listeners who are interested an opportunity to know how they can learn more about Plan A or do you work with people in any con- any country or you you use specific anywhere? US, so we're going to be opening in the US uh, next year, but we're already speaking to people. Uh, so for those interested, they can find me on LinkedIn or uh, look up the jobs that we have on our website. In terms of connecting related to businesses that are interested, we have no geographical limits. Actually, our platform is adapted in multiple languages and also with emission factors that are specific to the particular geographies where the company is based or their subsidiaries uh, or their suppliers. And uh, finally, we have a massive community of people that we uh, activate, uh, which uh, don't need to be anywhere in particular. There's a lot of online conversations, but also there's a lot of local uh, engagements. We did just recently uh, one event in, that kicks off one new series called Sustainability Encounters, where we're going to be first traveling in Europe. And then in autumn, we're kicking off also in the US, where we meet and discuss how to decarbonize certain industries. And... The first industry that we discussed was events. Next one is going to be travel. So for anyone that is interested in one of these three options, they can get in touch. uh, And I'll be super happy to chat with them. Amazing. Sick. Amazing. Yeah. It was really, it's a pleasure having you. This was awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm also excited. And I love the work that you do. So thank you. Because it's really always a pleasure to speak to people where the value uh, discussion doesn't even need to be held. Yes to that well i am henry lynn and increasingly grateful please check out plan a dot earth again and join us next time when we have yet another badass rock star who's out there just cleaning up beaches and then subsequently changing the world (laughs) thank you for having me